0: This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to this right now. It will help me know that I am helping and need to keep going. Please also follow along on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at the teachable soul or Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search the teachable soul. If you'd like to be a guest on our show and share your own teachable moment, feel free to go to the website to schedule a time that works for you. Or you can also email me at the teachable soul at gmail.com. Thanks.
1: Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I have Jen Gutfriend. Jen is a hypnotherapist and rapid transformation coach who empowers people-pleasers to say no without guilt. She overcame her people-pleasing ways after hitting rock bottom and losing her picture-perfect life that she created to please everyone at the expense of her own happiness. Welcome, Jen. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. So if you want to go ahead and start where everything started, did you realize at some point that you were people-pleasing and that's what caused like the downhill slide or what started you realizing that people-pleasing was was kind of an issue in your life?
2: Yeah, so I had been a people-pleaser since as long as I can remember, like, you know, four or five years of age. It was like ingrained in me deeply but I did not realize that and I was getting into my late 20s and was in a relationship which ended up he proposed to me which is a whole other story about how that all went but the only reason I was in a relationship the only reason I said yes to the proposal and the only reason I got married was to please everybody else and at the time I didn't realize that and then I think my turning point was the morning of my wedding. I woke up and you know what, your wedding day is supposed to be the happiest day of your life and I remember waking up going, oh my God, I'm making the biggest mistake of my life but I can't do anything now because I'm going to disappoint everybody and I can't disappoint everybody so I'm going to put on a smile like I always do Mm -hmm. and I'm going to walk down that aisle and I'm going to say I do. Wow. Yeah, it was just kind of, I guess it just kind of hit me like, Oh, my God,
1: uh, what am I doing? Yeah, I bet. So was that when you hit rock bottom was like shortly after that? Or like, what what occurred next?
2: It was, yeah. So I wasn't married for very long. Um, The person I was married to, he was very selfish, only thought about himself. And as soon as the wedding was over, I caught him telling a friend one day on the phone that pretty much I was trapped. I couldn't go anywhere now, you know, I was stuck. And he started acting that way. He would go to work, he would come home at night and pretty much sit on the chair with the computer on his lap and stare at the television all night. There was no talking, no communication, nothing. I did find out later that the reason he was on his computer is he was talking to his ex, the woman who supposedly was the love of his life that got away, which he liked to tell me about all the time. Wow. So I find out he's talking to her. He's ignoring me, expected me to cook and clean and do everything. And in the meantime, I have my own business, which I did quite well with. I mean, it replaced my a salaried income. I didn't have to work a day job. I had the freedom to have my own time, you know, decide who my clients were and I quite enjoyed it. But after the wedding, all the expectations from him the expectations from his family. They lived only a couple minutes away. So anytime anything needed done, I was always getting these phone calls, phone calls from friends, from his family, from my family. Can you do this? Can you do that? And I was always dropping everything to go running for them. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon I was exhausted. Like I was in full blown burnout, which back in 2011, 2012, when this happened, wasn't really well known. So I remember going to the doctor and just saying, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm exhausted 24 seven. I'm not sleeping. All I want to do is sleep. All I want to do is nap all day. I have no energy. What's happening? And they're like, so they run the blood work and right away, well, the blood work doesn't show anything. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to sleep more. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this isn't right. And it got to the point where I was getting lightheaded and dizzy all the time. I felt like I was going to pass out. At first, it was just, you know what, at home, I'd stand up too quickly. Then it started happening while I was driving, which was really scary. And again, the doctors say, you know what, passing out's no big deal. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just what you want to hear from a doctor, which... This is going to sound bad, but ironic, but that same doctor unfortunately died of a heart attack a month after he told me that.
1: Oh my gosh,
2: that's
1: awful, but ironic.
2: Yeah. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I was miserable. This marriage was making me miserable. And now all of a sudden my health had hit rock bottom and I was sick all the time. I was so emotionally overwhelmed. I was unhappy and I just got to a point where I couldn't process it all. It just felt like I had this weight on me that I couldn't contain anymore that I just couldn't put up with the pressure that I had all these expectations and all these people I was trying to please and I just couldn't no matter what I did and it was right around Christmas time that it just all kind of collapsed on me I remember I took my husband home to my parents house for Christmas and my mom actually sent me home early because she couldn't handle me she I was just too much I was so miserable and so upset, that she's just like, I don't want to be around you, go home. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like the happy, go lucky person that everybody loves to be around. So for that, and it was just before that, that I kind of decided that, you know i think i'm ready to leave i think something needs to be done and the scary part is is nobody knew how miserable i was i hadn't told my best friend i hadn't told my parents nobody knew any of these things until mm. just before christmas so my parents finally knew when i come home at christmas that i wasn't happy and that i was planning on leaving mm-hmm. but i still hadn't processed it and worked through it and i still in the back of my mind thought but i can probably make this work i could probably If I did this better, if I did that better, I might be able to make it better. And I still had that thought in the back of my mind. Right. And that because there was still guilt. I'd only been married in September and it was only December. So I'd only been married a few short months. So I felt like a failure, like a complete failure. It's like, oh my God, like I'm not even married a year and I'm already, you know, wanting to leave. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. So with everything that happened, it just got worse and worse and worse. And by the end of January, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I literally was at rock bottom. I was so miserable. I was so upset. I just, I couldn't even think straight. I was literally a shell of myself. I was a zombie. I went through my day. I did what I needed to do, but there was no emotion. There was no happiness. There was just nothing left of me. And so- the beginning of February 2012, I packed up my things and I walked away with nothing. In my mind, it was either I had to walk away or there wouldn't be anything left of me. And if I had to leave everything behind to do it, I was willing to do that just to
1: have that peace of mind and my sanity again. Right. Wow. That's and and you did it. I'm so proud of you for doing it. In on. I mean, honestly, what was such kind of short amount of time because. When my husband and I first got married, so my husband's in the military, and we only saw each other on the weekends for nine months before we got married. But then he was going to be stationed uh, across the country, essentially, and so we got married because we weren't ready to, you know, be done yet. We were like, okay, well, this is going well on the weekends. <laughs> Get married, and then you know, immediately after being married, that's you know, he acted the same, and within a year. I had decided that he was, I mean, it took me a year, but I had decided that he was just a horrible human being essentially. And I could not be married to him anymore um, because it wasn't just me that he was like uh, negative towards or whatever. It was, it was like life in general at that time. I felt, I mean, we've been married now for going on 11 years in March. So <laughs> <laughs> out <thought> of that <laughs> and quit thinking that way. But I think that, I mean, I have another friend of mine who, you know, has experienced the same thing that after they get married something switches and you know their their spouse starts acting differently so yeah
2: and I mean with mine he already wasn't a good person he was already a selfish person and I seen that and it was funny because he proposed to me a couple days before Christmas and in November we were um, had gone on a holiday with some friends And the whole time he had just annoyed me. And all I could think in the back of my mind is, oh my God, why am I with him? Like I need to break up with him. And Mm -hmm. then I was kind of at a point where I was thinking about it and that's when he proposed. And the only thing I can think of is, this is what my parents want. This is what my family wants. This was, you know what, in my family to be the good girl, which I always strive to be, you get married, you have babies, you raise those babies. That's the expectation. So all of a sudden he was starting to fill these boxes, even though maybe that wasn't what I wanted. But at the time I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. So how old were you when he proposed?
2: I was 28. Okay. So yeah, I was, it was, I think it was that fear of the 30s coming because yeah. I had some medical issues and the doctors had always kind of told me that, you know, what, if you want to have babies, you better start, you know, having them before you're 30. And there was this expectations of being a mom that was put on me. So, you know, I'm getting up there in age and I'm thinking, oh my God, I need to do these things. I have to have babies. I have to get married. I'm getting old. Like time's running out. The clock's ticking. Like you got to do this. You got to do this. So you know what? If it was the right person, it would have been a different circumstance, but I was willing to do whatever it took to make
1: everyone else happy, even if that would meant I wasn't. Yeah, I understand. And that might actually be why it took you so much less time. Cause I was, I was 20 when we got married at that time. Mm. And so I was like, well, I just, we just need to work on this and we just need to work harder. And my parents were divorced, you know, and I thought that they just didn't give it long enough because they were only married for like a year or so, year and a half, maybe. <laughs> But I, looking back, I now realize that is clearly not the case. They they gave it what they had at the time.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And mine was the opposite. My parents are still together and it's been almost 39 years now. So in my family, like especially my mom, to her divorce is a dirty word. Like that is just not something you do, that you just work hard. Like, you know, marriage is difficult and you just need to work at it. And if you don't, then that's
1: your own fault. And that's how I felt. Mm. I felt like a failure. Yeah, I bet. So after you left and you'd had nothing, where did you go? What did you do?
2: Yeah, so actually that there was still more to come, unfortunately. So I still had my business, but because of everything that was going on, I was starting to resent my business. And I started kind of reevaluating my life and realized that not just the marriage, but my business, my career choice, my, you know, my post-secondary education were all things I did to make others happy. I did things that I thought would please others. So here, yes, I had a great education and I had a business that was successful, but I realized I didn't actually enjoy doing the work. I actually quite resented it. So kind of with the one realization and kind of kicking the one thing to the curb, I realized that you know if I was gonna do this, I had to do it all in or not at all. So I actually closed up my business, Within a couple months after leaving my ex-husband, I started reevaluating my friends. And within a year, I pretty much ditched most of my friends, got rid of my business, went back to corporate just to pay the bills. And I kind of discovered this whole world of personal development, self-help books, and literally immersed myself in that world and was reading, I think I was going through a book a week, just mm-hmm. like trying to figure my out trying to figure out what's wrong with me how do I fix this and the biggest thing is how do I be happy like how do I make myself happy because I
1: don't know what that is right wow so what were some of the books during that time that you were reading that really made an impact on you that helped you realize what was happening and and where everything had kind of gone awry. I think some of the ones, um, I always say
2: The Big Leap was a big one for me. There was just something about that book that really got my attention about how we always put this glass ceiling on ourselves and kind of got me thinking about how mindset's so important because I didn't know about law of attraction or mindset or how what we think about, we bring about, and I didn't know anything about that. So I started reading these books that are telling me, you know what, watch what you're thinking, and I'm like, What? And then uh, my aunt, who was actually really, you know, amazing part of my transformation is she was there when I left and actually offered me up a place to stay because that was one of my big downfalls with leaving was where do I go? So I moved in with her and she recommended this book called Boundaries. And that book just opened my eyes to how people treated me. I started to realize that what I thought was you know were friends were people that cared about me really weren't they were only friends with me because i was always there for them because i always said yes because i was always the one that did things for them and that they could kind of push around and control and manipulate and reading this book i was just like wow like look at that i i can't believe i'm doing this i can't believe it and i started kind of, I guess, running experiments and, you know, it's saying no to things and just to see people's reactions or, you know, not being so people pleasing and not being so accommodating. And all of a sudden, these people that I thought were my friends started getting angry and started saying things about me. And, you know, even the person I thought my best friend, mm-hmm. she was the worst of them. Like she started bad me to other friends, telling them that, you know, who is she becoming? What is she doing? You know what? She's gone off the rocker. She's going cuckoo and she's crazy and just bad mouthing me like horribly. And I was like, wow, like how would someone who's supposed to be your best friend, how can they act this way towards you? Like it was really hurtful, Mm -hmm. but it was that realization I needed. And so, like I said, I gave up everything and I decided that, you know what, a life like this isn't worth living. So, you know what, I either have to give it all up from, start from scratch, or I have to do something. And so I did, I gave it all up, I let everything go. And you know what, in my thirties, I decided to rebuild myself from the start and finally do what was going to make me happy and build a life that brought me joy rather than
1: one that brought everyone else joy. Right. Yeah, that's great. I keep seeing like something on Facebook that says something to the effect of manipulators hate boundaries and mm. it kind of talks about how as soon as you start telling the people that you're doing things for know that they'll that they'll basically do that. And it's because manipulators hate boundaries type thing.
2: They do. Yeah.
1: So much so
2: because they like people that don't have boundaries because they can take what they want. So as soon as you start putting up boundaries and they actually have to work to them, it's just not worth it. They'll move on and they'll find somebody else that doesn't have the boundaries that they can work with. And this happens in relationships. It happens in friendships, even within family.
1: Yeah. So quick question. Whenever you started saying just like, no, I can't do that. I, I don't have like the bandwidth or, you know, whatever you were saying, like, did they immediately turn or did they just
2: look yeah.
1: a few times?
2: Yeah, it was just those first few times I, you know what, like uh my best friend at the time, she was uh, still a big partier. And I mean, we were getting up there in age, but she still wanted to go whatever weekend, go drinking, go pick up guys, like just things I didn't want to do. And I kind of was like, you know what, no, I'm, I'm going to stay home or I'm, you know, got other plans. And she didn't like that. She wanted me to do whatever she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And even other friends, it was, I started I decided that I was only going to do things that I really wanted to do. And a lot of times I'd get invites and it's like, no, I don't really want to do that. So I'd say no. Mm -hmm. And right away, all of a sudden they're all talking. Well, isn't she being selfish? Isn't she, you know what, you know, being rude, and why isn't she thinking about us? And all of a sudden, they're all talking to each other, I found out, and I'm like, oh, so I'm selfish now, am I? Like, aren't I allowed mm. to be selfish? I've been so unselfish for so long. Well, you right. guys have been the selfish ones, so what's what's wrong here? You're allowed to be selfish, but I can't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I hate is double standards.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay if I do it, but you can't do it.
1: Exactly, yeah, that's injustice to me and I don't like injustice. And so I get very angry very quickly when things like that come out. <laughs> but so after you started saying no, and you realized that they were all doing this, did they kind of drop you and you didn't even have to do anything? Or, or did, did you, did it come to a point where you had to say something to them and be like, listen, I can't, don't, don't invite me anymore. <laughs>
2: It was a little bit of both. Um, Some people just naturally kind of fell away. Some people were actually trying to sabotage my life, which was kind of funny, especially like, I don't know why, but my best friend took it the worst. Like she went out and was trying to turn everybody against me. She was spreading rumors and lies about me. Like she she had this thing about sabotaging me. She wanted to destroy me because I was no longer under her thumb. And I was like, "Wow, like were you really this person when we were friends? And now I see I look back and I see that yes she was. Like when we were friends, she was one of those people that was always bad mouthing other people and I always thought, of course, being her best friend, oh, but she wouldn't be doing that to me she's right. just venting to me, but that's the way she was with everybody. Whoever, whatever friend she was with, she was bad the other friends to them. And she just made her circle around, you know, complaining about everybody else mm-hmm. to that person. And of course, you don't think that your friend's going to be that way with you until my tipping point was, I, I guess I was still trying to keep her in my life because she was my best friend. And right. one day a friend calls me and she says, you, You know, what, I need to tell you something, you need to come over. So I went over to her house and she's like, I need to show you this message. She said, I'm not trying to cause problems, but you need to know what's being said about you so that you can handle it. And so she showed me a text message that my best friend had sent her and it was just so mean and so vindictive. Mm. And that's what I needed to see to finally completely cut ties because I couldn't, look at my best friend the same way anymore. If you were going to talk that badly about me and send this text to my friend about things that never even happened and try and spread these lies and this stupidity, why am I even keeping you in my life? And after that, I just cut her off completely, never talked to her, never associated with her. If we ran into each other, I literally kind of looked at her and then looked away and and left the situation I wasn't going to have any kind of involvement with her whatsoever.
1: Right. Wow. And yeah, I think that cutting off friendships or or breaking up with your best friend is probably one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. Only next to divorce because there's like legalities (laughs) there, but (laughs) you know, you don't have legalities with your best friend. You just have emotions, but man, that is rough.
2: Yeah. I think losing her at first was harder than losing my marriage. Like it, right. it was rougher because I thought she was there for me and she was there for me through the marriage or through the divorce. And she was helpful mm-hmm. because she thought that was more time for her. Cause right. you know what? Oh, she's single again. Oh, I have more time. She can do more. She can be more for me. But mm-hmm. then when I said no, then that was worse. And we had been through so much. She was my go-to person and that she was my rock. So to lose that person was really devastating to me.
1: Yeah. But especially in a time like that, how long after your divorce, did you have to cut ties with her? Oh, within a year and that at all.
2: Yeah. That first few months she was happy because of course I was free. So I wanted to do things all the time and get out and have fun. Yeah. But then I started realizing that it wasn't making me happy and I started stepping back. Mm -hmm. And yeah, less than a year after I walked out of my marriage, she was no longer in my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's rough. The first year after anything is like the hardest, I think.
2: Yeah, you lose. I lost my husband. I lost my best friend and I lost my business all within a year of each other. Like literally everything.
1: Wow. So what happened after you lost your best friend then?
2: So I just continued on my journey and worked through that personal development side of things and focused, the big thing was focused on my happiness. I realized that, you know what, happiness was something that was missing from my life for a long time that I was putting on this fake happiness. Like anyone you would have asked that knew me in those younger years, everybody would have said I was the happiest person. Like I always Mm -hmm. had a smile on my face. I was always so bubbly and, you know, I was always the life of the party. And it was all a show. It was all me trying to be that person. I wanted to be happy. And I guess in my mind, I thought, well, if I pretend, then it will come or, you know, Mm -hmm. what I can't disappoint people. I can't be sad. And And I know in college, I had... You know what? I drank a lot in college. I I wasn't an alcoholic, but I definitely drank way more than I should have because I used it to push down my emotions, to push out that unhappiness. And, you know, because when you were drinking, when you had that buzz on, you could just be happy and enjoy yourself. But then the next day when it's all gone, you go back to reality and it's like, oh, well, you know, last night was amazing and fun and happy, but today yeah. isn't. So you know, maybe I just need to go out and go partying again and I can get that happiness back. And I spent a lot of time in college doing Mm -hmm. that and thinking that that was true
1: happiness when I know now that it really wasn't. Right. Yeah, no, that's definitely a false thing that people think for a while. I think they think that they can, you know, drown their sorrows kind of in alcohol because it makes you feel good at the time. But
2: yeah, you can't feel good like that forever. Otherwise you really do have a problem.
1: No, for sure. Yeah. And alcohol tends to like get worse to you as you get older so yeah
2: <laughs> yeah exactly back then it was great because i never got hangovers. so you know it, and it wasn't an every night thing so to me i thought i had it in control you know two or three nights a week me and my friends would go out we'd go drinking right. i still was keeping you know my straight a's i still was getting good grades so in my mind i thought everything was okay fine yeah and that yeah of course you're young You've, you want it to be okay you don't want yeah. it to be a problem so you yeah. convince yourself that there's nothing wrong with this but yeah. now Everybody looking back that. exactly now i look back and mm-hmm. go Ooh, that was a warning sign.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so now you've lost your best friend and you're kind of going on your journey basically alone at this point, right? Did you, were you still living with your aunt or no?
2: Yeah. So I was living with my aunt for a while and then I ended up moving in actually with my brother and his wife and kids for a while. He worked away all the time and my sister-in-law was raising two young children under the age of five by herself. And I needed, you know, it's a new situation, a new scenario. So I thought, you know what, best of both worlds, I can help her, they can help me. And mm-hmm. so moved in with them for a while and just started rebuilding my life. I started taking courses and discovered this whole world of coaching and started doing some personal coaching and Just opened up my world to learn anything I needed to learn, to immerse myself, to make myself a priority and figure out what it was that I needed, what I needed to work on, what I needed to work through, and really find that ultimate happiness. And it was amazing. Like to find this whole world of personal coaching and self development, like I didn't even know that was there. And it's so funny because. The people around me are like, What are you doing? Like, you are going cuckoo. Like, my mom, I love her to death, but (laughs) she still thinks this whole world is a whole bunch of BS and that it's just people out for money and Mm -hmm. you don't need a coach. You just need to get your act together and you just need to figure it out and make it work. And oh man, yes. (laughs) So, for me to spend money on these other people to help me was funny, but yet after my divorce, she. Like, forced me to go to counseling. Like, after I left, she's like, You have to do this. Her and my aunt both, you know Mm -hmm. what, strong arms me and said, You need to go talk to a counselor. You need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And I did. And you know what? Honestly, it was a good thing. It was a good start. The only problem was, is you can only talk about your feelings so many times. It just felt to me like I was sitting down with a friend you know what, putting all the garbage out on the table saying, this is how I feel, this is wrong. But there was no real way of turning that around. There was no help to go with that. It was just, let's talk about your feelings. Let's process them. Let's maybe give you a little bit of advice to help you out. And then we're going to send you on your way and we'll talk to you next week. Right. It didn't give me that transformation I needed. So when I found coaching, it was different. Yes, I could express my feelings and tell them how I was feeling, But they were giving me action oriented results. Like they were telling me to do this, to do that, and actually helped me figure things out, helped me figure out why I was feeling this way, why I became a people pleaser. Um, I remember the first time I went to a hypnotherapist, I was just blown away. Like to go see a person and in one session, find out the exact reason why I was a people pleaser, that exact moment or a couple of moments throughout my life that created that belief in me that was so ingrained, I didn't even know it was there to find that exact moment. And then to be able to go in and just rewrite my belief system to say, hey, you don't need to be this person anymore. Mm -hmm. And to come out of that session, empowered to know that I didn't have to, And to be empowered to start saying no right away and without the guilt, because for me, that was huge. My mom, again, I love her to death, but she knew guilt controlled me. And Mm -hmm. if I did something wrong, if she needed me to do something, she just had to sprinkle in a little bit of guilt. (laughs) And I was under her thumb because if anybody made me feel guilty, I was like doing everything in my power to turn that around. And after that hypnotherapy session, that didn't work. Guilt did not work on me anymore. You couldn't use that as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And to be free from that was just like, honestly, it felt like a weight had been lifted from my shoulders. Like I had been carrying this burden all my life. Mm -hmm. And to remove that so quickly, it was just profound to me. And it
1: was just like, wow, what just happened? Right. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I experienced the exact same thing. My mom is the exact same way. And unfortunately I have children now and my son who's 13 will point out to me when I also do this because I do it not knowing that I'm doing it because that's just the way I I was raised. So like it works and it's not harming anyone. So I have a tendency, I do have a tendency to do this to him, but luckily he points it out to me when I do it and I'm like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) that's good that he's empowered enough to do that because oh, some yeah. of us aren't and it's funny my mom still tries <laughs> to use it and I laugh I'm like mom like this does not work on me anymore but again it's what we're trained uh, oh, yeah. her mom used it on her her grandmother I mm-hmm. used it on her mom and it's just right. that lifetime of thing and I see my mom using it on my niece which drives me crazy because I one thing I decided especially when I did my transformational journey is a lot of the issues I had, the people pleasing, the guilt, the low self-esteem, low self-worth, all those things that tied in together have been going on through my family for generations. Oh yeah, same. And one of my big things was, is I'm going to be the generation where all these issues stop. I'm going to be the generation where the women who come after me are going to be empowered. They're going to be free from these burdens, and they're going to be able to live a joy-filled life without having to deal with this.
1: Yeah, that's that's powerful right there. You're exactly right.
2: Yeah. So because of that, I really get on my mother and my niece. I she. It's so funny. Everyone thinks she's my child. I swear she spends more time <laughs> with me and is exact splitting image of, me like she is so much like me it's funny but i i keep telling her like i am on or anytime i hear her say something about you know what i'm fat or i'm not pretty or i can't do this or i can't do that like those are not words that are allowed in her vocabulary Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just am on that girl to make sure that she doesn't follow in my footsteps and even if i have to like i have told her mom and dad like you cannot say that to her you cannot be that way to her i have stopped my mom and been like no you are not doing this to her, what you did to me, so right. stop that there. And they look at me, but they see why at least, and they yeah. realize it, but I don't just don't want her to go through those struggles. I don't want her to deal with that, and she's only 12 years old now. She'll be 13 this year, and I want to make sure that she develops the right beliefs now mm-hmm. rather than having to reprogram like I did.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. I've got a six-year-old daughter and my mom is very concerned with weight of everybody. And she, she is very skinny, but she says all the time that she feels fat or, or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, you're not, you can't, you can't even say that in front of Elizabeth because I don't want her, my daughter, sorry, her name is Elizabeth, but <laughs> I don't want her to to copy or mirror what you're doing, even like you're not allowed to be that way. around her.
2: Exactly. And they don't think about it. Like It's funny because my grandmother was the type that if you weren't a size zero, you weren't pretty, you Mm. weren't acceptable. And she literally starved her daughters, like limited their food intake and so when my mom moved out on her own, she went the exact opposite. And all of a sudden she ate everything and gained a whole bunch of weight and mm-hmm. then felt bad about herself. Like my whole life was watching my mom diet and complain about her body and yep. not feel good enough. And so, of course, I'm going to pick up those beliefs from her mm-hmm. and that. So I'm like, no, my my niece is not going through this. Thank God her mom has good body image, doesn't have those issues and is, has healthy body image. So at least at home, she's not seeing that, but there's still, it's not just your parents. It's everybody else that has a role in that child's life.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. My, I mean, we were talking before, but I think, yeah, we, we kind of had the same, similar lives, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. So, so you went through, so when, how did you start hypnotherapy? Where did you get into that?
2: Uh, so a couple of years ago, um, like I said, I had done a lot of coaching, seen lots of transformation, done some energy healing, seen, you know, lots of benefit from that. And then I'd started, you know, I trained as a coach myself, started working with other people, helping them. And then I don't remember how or where, but somebody was giving away some hypnotherapy sessions. She wanted to give back and somehow I got these sessions and I thought, wow, like, this is kind of cool. I've always been curious about this. Let's try it out. And it was, it was really interesting, like to go back and understand the beliefs and understand things, and got some results from that. And then I heard about this form of hypnotherapy called RTT. Um, it's done by Marissa Peer. She's the one that created it, and she's a, a psychologist and hypnotherapist from the UK who works with celebrities and people all around the world. She's world famous. I'd never even heard of her until this point, and heard about her. And so I thought, you know what, I've still had some big issues I was working through. There's still things that I just couldn't move on no matter what. There's these blocks that were just so deeply ingrained in me and it just no, no coach, nobody else I could work with could help me figure it out. So I thought, you know what, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Let's give this a try. So I literally had one session and my life, like literally 360, it was so transformational. Like we were trying to figure out it was all down to the feeling of I'm not enough because everything in my life I realized came down to a belief at a young age that I wasn't enough, that I had to prove myself, that I always had to earn earn everything, earn love, earn acceptance, earn mm-hmm. money, whatever it was. And it all came down to this belief. And so through hypnotherapy, we literally went back to the exact moment. And it's so funny because I went back to only two days of age, listening to my mom talk about how difficult her pregnancy was and how difficult my labor was and how difficult I was. So at two days old, I created this belief that I was difficult and I was trouble. And then later on in life at three, there was that feelings of not enough pop up again because everyone's always too busy for me. They're too busy, you know, with work. They're too busy doing this. They're too busy with my brother. My brother needs more help. Your brother needs more care. And it just created even more beliefs of you're not enough. Because if you were enough, you wouldn't have to fight for our attention. If you were enough, you know, you wouldn't have to try and stand out. And it was just one thing after another. And to be able to, in my mind, go back to those exact moments and understand why I created these beliefs was so powerful to me. And then by understanding why I was able to change it and I was able to create these new belief systems saying, you know what, I was only two days old. There's nothing I could have done. What baby is not perfect? Every baby is perfect and I was a perfect baby and it wasn't my fault that everyone thought this way. There was nothing wrong with me. And I remember coming out of that session, working through all these issues, all these beliefs I had about not being enough, and I finally, when I opened my eyes, I finally, for once, felt this feeling like I deserve happiness, and that was the first time in my life that I truly believed that I deserved to be happy. Wow.
1: And you were how old at that point?
2: Oh, this was just a year or two ago, like quite recently, that. I tried the hypnotherapy. So yeah, I was mid thirties. Nice. So yeah, 35 years of your life believing that you're not good enough, that you don't
1: deserve happiness and you don't understand why. Oh, which is, I think something that probably everybody, at least at one point in time in their lives, at least goes through like even if it's subconscious and you don't realize that that's what you're thinking because i think i think i do that subconsciously even on occasion you know and i i have built up kind of an immunity to it and and learned of course that self talk is important and so i kind of just work on talking myself out of thinking that way at this point but yeah my brother has actually <laughs> Suggested that I do the RTT hypnotherapy as well, so what happened during the three hundred and sixty change over the next twenty four hours, for instance or or week or whatever, whatever occurred that caused everything to kind of shift
2: yeah, so for me, it was almost instantaneous, like I said, within that first twenty four hours, I just felt this power and this control that I had never had and this happiness, and then that continued because the great thing about the RTT is you continue to listen to a recording that further ingrains those new beliefs in and I remember every night laying in bed listening to that recording and just the biggest smile would come across my face and I during the day it was I started thinking about all the things I can do now with my life all the things that I can do that I want to bring me joy and how am I going to make this happen and how am I going to spread this joy and it was just like my whole mind opened up to this whole new world to me that I didn't even know was there, that I didn't think it was available to me. And it was like my brain was on overload. I've always been a thinker, but this time it was like, the thoughts of what I could do. I had all these amazing ideas for my business, for things I wanted to do with my life, places I wanted to travel, you know, new things that I dreamed that I wanted. I remember I went and created a whole new vision board for myself because I just had all this stuff I needed to get out there, all these things that I had to do with my life. And I had to put them out there so that I could focus on them and put effort into them. And it was just my whole way of thinking just transformed from, I hope I can do this to I can
1: do this. Awesome. So how many things on your vision board have you been able to say that you've done now over the last two years since then?
2: Oh, lots. I actually had to recreate a whole new vision board this year because I was marking things off left, right and center. And yeah, actually, the biggest one was to become an RTT therapist myself. That was like, I knew as soon as I did that, it's like, I have to do this for myself. I I need to be able to offer this to somebody else. Like this transformed my life hmm. so much that I have a mission and I have a purpose to share those transformations with others. I don't want to see, you know, because I tell people it's taken me eight years now to get from, you know, when I let it all go to today and it's taken me, it was baby steps here and baby steps there to get where I am. Mm -hmm. And I want to take what I've learned in the last eight years and I want to help women not take that long of time. I want women instead of taking years to change and years to turn their life around, and find their happiness and their power, I want them to be able to do that in months, not years, because everyone deserves that. And they shouldn't have to struggle, because unfortunately, if things take too long, we tend to give up. We feel that maybe this isn't for us, maybe we don't deserve it. So my hope is that I can continue transforming women's lives so quickly that they see that it is possible for them And that they can make the transformations and they can find that happiness quickly so that they don't give up on themselves and on that life that they want. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And yeah, quickly kind of makes a
2: difference in those instances. (laughs) It really does. When you get it's like anything, when you get a quick win. I mean, look at weight loss with if people don't get those, you know, one or two pounds that first week, they want to give up. Whereas if they get that big loss, they're motivated to keep going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now you no longer live a life of guilt or people-pleasing and everything has worked out and you're just fine.
2: (laughs) Of course, yeah. Everything's perfect. Life is always perfect. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course, yeah. Life is life. Life will never be perfect. Things still come up. I still have my things that happen. Like I love my mom again, but she sometimes pushes my buttons and I had to work really hard and struggle to put boundaries up around my family, but I did. Mm-hmm. But I'm human. Everybody's human. I still have things that come up. I still have beliefs that I didn't know were there come up that sabotage me. And I honestly believe that no matter where you are in your life, things are going to come up. Things are going to be triggered. Things happen. I find myself all the time, like I'll be working through something and all of a sudden I'll get this anger or resentment and it's like, ooh, I was just triggered. Why am I triggered? Mm. What's causing that? And I mean, I still continue. Every month I do my own hypnotherapy. I do my own recordings and every month I put a focus on something new because something's always going to come up. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's just a little annoyance that, you know, it would be nice to get rid of. But I think people need to realize that it's a lifelong journey. There's always going to be things that are going to come up that we have to work through. We're never perfect. And if we think we are, then we're just going to
1: stagnate ourselves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even if you think you found perfection, you should still seek other higher perfection.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Look at people like Tony Robbins and who else am I thinking of? Proctor. Why can't I think of his name? Bob Proctor. Guys like that, they even say the same thing, that they never stop learning, they never stop growing, that it's just part of their transformation and that if you do, that's when you
1: get stuck. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you for any kind of coaching or hypnotherapy, maybe, where can they do that?
2: Uh, so you can find me at LiveYourRemarkableLife.com or anywhere on social media at Live Your Remarkable Life.
1: Okay. And where are you actually physically located? Do they need to be in person for hypnotherapy or can you do something online?
2: Everything I do is virtually online. I have clients all over
1: the world. Oh, wow. Okay. I hadn't realized that you could do, how do you do hypnotherapy online? I mean, obviously, uh, they just have to like see things, right? Video. Yeah,
2: I do video chat. I use Zoom. And yeah, I've worked with women all around the world. As long as I can kind of see you and see what's going on, it works phenomenally.
1: It's pretty amazing. Wow, that's super cool. I hadn't thought about doing one online. I thought that you had to like sit in a chair and be there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, as long as you're open, I actually find people enjoy it more because people get to do it from their comfort of their own homes where they're, you know, relaxed. Uh, they're in a recliner chair. A lot of people do it from their bed and they just, it's almost like it's a better situation because when you're more relaxed, it works even better. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay, so repeat that one more time for me for the people who need longer time writing. <laughs>
2: sure. Liveyourremarkablelife.com. Perfect.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and opening up to us. (laughs)
2: Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this so much.
1: Absolutely. Me too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: If you like what you hear, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this right now. It will help me know that I am helping and need to keep going. Please also follow along on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at the teachable soul or Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search the teachable soul. If you'd like to be a guest on our show and share your own teachable moment, feel free to go to the website to schedule a time that works for you. Or you can also email me at the teachable soul at gmail.com. Thanks.